In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you love me, keep my commandments. For most of my childhood, my dad uh, worked two jobs. In fact, uh, even beyond my childhood, my dad worked two jobs. Just a hard-working guy. By day, my dad worked at the local power company, and he was a heavy equipment operator, and he ran this big crane on the side of Pensacola Bay where he would remove the coal from these barges that would come in that would then be made into electricity. And as a young boy, I couldn't think of anything cooler than my dad could do than operate these huge cranes that I had seen on TV. He would work these long shifts, 8, 10, maybe even 12 hours, and he would come home completely covered from head to toe in coal. And then he would go to his second job, and he would keep in his truck a pair of clothes that he would change into, generally an old pair of military surplus camo pants and an old t-shirt with lots of holes, and he had his own tree removal business. And so after a long day on the cold docks, my dad would then go out to different people's homes and he would cut trees in the evenings and on the weekends. And for the most part, my dad was the only employee of this business. It was a very small business. But on Saturdays, he would drive down into Milton, the next big town next to Pace where I grew up, and he would pick up day workers who would help him on Saturdays do this work. And it was a changing cast of characters. But at some point, my dad built a relationship with this guy named Jack, who became a really steady fixture at our house. Jack was short and kind of barrel-shaped. Jack had a beard that was down, almost covering his entire stomach. And most days that I saw him, in fact, probably for the first five or six years that I knew him, I wasn't even sure that he had a face, because... He had this huge beard and he always wore these big like blue blocker style sunglasses and a ball cap like you could hardly see any of it. And as a kid, I had such very little curiosity about Jack beyond what I could see. I did not think about what Jack uh, did when he left or where he went or where he lived or if he had a family. I was fascinated by Jack's ability because Just looking at him, you wouldn't think that he could strap himself to the top of a tree and then just swirl around like a spider monkey with surgical precision cutting down these limbs. And so I didn't put a lot of fault into what Jack might do after work or what his family might look like or if he even had a family. But I remember one year, it was close to Christmas, my family and I had went out to eat somewhere. And my dad gathered us into the car afterwards, and he said, we're going to go to Walmart, I think was the store. And we went in, and we went into the toy section, and we began to buy these toys, toys that I had not asked for, toys uh, that were not meant for me. And my dad gathered us up, and he gathered these toys up into the car, and he told us that we were going to Jack's house to have Christmas with his family. We drove into a part of town that I had never been in, and as a young boy, I felt a little bit uncomfortable, although I'm not sure I would have been able to name why. The houses just didn't look like where I lived, and there weren't as many lights in this particular part of town, and I just felt anxious. And then I went into this house that looked nothing like my own, but we gathered there with this family, and we had 
a type of Christmas together. My dad buying these gifts for these people who I had never met before, except for Jack until this very moment. And I remember in this time thinking very clearly that I'd always known that my dad loves me, but somehow it made it even more clear watching his love for this family who I did not know. If he could love them this much, how much more must he love me? If you love me, keep my commandments. When I graduated from high school, I made a deal with my parents. They did not want me to go immediately off to college. There was probably a lot of reasons why. <laughs> and I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that junior college for the first two years is just much less expensive than another college. And that was probably a huge reason, although that was not the reason that we discussed. My parents made this deal with me that I would go to Pensacola Junior College at the time. It's now Pensacola State College. Uh, and I would do my first two years there, earning an AA in general education. And I'm glad that I did that. It was a formative experience for me. And then after those two years, I enrolled in Southeastern College, which became Southeastern University while I was there. And it was my first time living away from home. I had graduated when I was 17, so I was making it to Southeastern around the time that I was 19. And I'd never lived on my own before, and here I was, nine hours away from my family, living life and somewhat being an adult, at least some version of it here in this place. And about midway through my first semester, I got sicker. More sick? I got sick. And I was more sick at that moment than I had ever been in my entire life. I was so sick that I could not get up. I could not even make it to the doctor. I could not drive a car. It was probably the flu or strep or bronchitis or some version of these things. But I was so sick, I just didn't know that if I could make it to the doctor on my own. And so a friend there at the school, drove me, and I remember calling my parents and telling them after I left the doctor how sick I was. And I went back to my dorm, and I collapsed on my bed. And I don't remember all the details in between. I just know that the next day, my mom showed up on my doorstep. She had made the nine-hour drive from Pensacola all the way down to Lakeland, Florida. And she was there, and she picked me up, and she took me to a hotel room where she just allowed me to sleep for days, undisturbed by the four roommates that I had at the time. And she made me chicken noodle soup, and we watched old uh, game shows, and I drank more Gatorade than I think I'd ever drank in my entire life. And it really did not strike me at the time how wonderful this act was on my mom's part. A nine-hour drive is a lot for anyone. Nine hours, one way. Taking four or five days out of your own schedule and canceling all of your plans. Renting a hotel room for almost a week is expensive. Not going into work has a personal cost. Watching TV shows that she probably would not have watched if it would have been up to her. And going and picking up meals and buying all that Gatorade is not easy and it is expensive. And still to this day, this is one of the most extravagant acts of love anyone has ever done for me. It was very clear to me how much I meant to my mom, that she loved me deeply. And still to this day, I'm deeply appreciative that she cared for me in that time. If you love me, keep my commandments. I've struggled this week because 
I don't know. This is a strange way to talk about love. This is not usually the way that you and I talk about love with each other or with our loved ones. I tried to put myself in this passage this week, and I imagined myself going to my wife and saying, Honey, if you love me, keep my commandments. Much like that time I was sick, I'd probably be living in a hotel room right now if I uttered those words to my wife. Usually when we think about love, we do not think about commands and obedience. We, we don't talk about it in this kind of terminology. And so I did some thinking and reflecting on what Jesus actually meant by this as he spoke with his disciples. Jesus is keenly aware in this moment that he and his disciples, these men who he has called to follow him, he knows that they're not going to be together for forever. That this three-year period that they would spend together would come to an end. And I'm not sure that they knew this at this moment, but Jesus is clearly trying to speak some words of comfort to them. I will send you an advocate. I will not orphan you. But when he speaks those words, if you love me, keep my commandments, for some reason on my 21st century ears, this phrase just falls flat. And so I decided to do some research this week. How many times does the word command or commandments actually show up in the New Testament or in the Gospels? Surprisingly, not that many times. Somewhere between 40 and 50 between the four Gospels, the word command or commandments is used. And almost every single time, some 95 to 98% of the time, when Jesus uses the word command or commandments, he is referring to the great commandments, the Ten Commandments, the commandments that we all know. But only two times is he speaking about something new, some new interpretation of these Ten Commandments or some new command. What's interesting about the Ten Commandments is that they are all things that we should not do, right? Thou shalt not. And unfortunately, when human beings come up with lists of commandments, this is usually how we focus ourselves, the things that we should not do, rather than the things that we should do. And unfortunately, most of my experience in the church has been being told, if you want to be a good Christian, and if you want to make sure that God loves you, Don't watch these kind of movies, and don't listen to this kind of music, and don't go to these kind of places, and don't say these words. And here I am at 39, and I watch those kind of movies, and I listen to a lot of that music, and occasionally I say those kind of words, and sometimes I even end up in those kind of places. I am a priest, but I am a human being. What I am trying to tell you is that the lists don't do us that much good. In fact, it usually only is behavior modification that makes us good people when other people are around, but the true us is exposed when no one else is watching. So what do we do with this? How do we listen to these commands that Jesus has given us? I think we have to pay attention to these moments where Jesus is telling us something new. One of the places that Jesus says something new is in Matthew 22, and the story is repeated, or really in reverse, Mark chapter 12. A teacher comes to Jesus and challenges him. is trying to somewhat keep him uh, or, or catch him in a mistake. And he asks Jesus, this individual, what is the most important of the commands? What is the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus responds wisely by saying that the entire law can be summed up in these two statements. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting to me that when Jesus sums up the law, he does not tell the person what they should not do, but what they should do. And in John chapter 13, just before the passage that we've read this morning, and in John chapter 15, just after the passage that we have read this morning, Jesus issues a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. When it comes down to it, the commands that Jesus have actually given us have very little to do with what we shouldn't do, but more to do with what we should do with our lives. To be frank with you, God cares very little. I believe this with my whole heart. God cares very little with what you do not do. But God cares a whole bunch about what you actually do with your life. If you love me, if you love Jesus, keep His commandments. The mission of the church is simple, and we try to overcomplicate it so many times by coming up with all of these lists that if we all just affirm it, suddenly God will love us because we've made ourselves lovable. And the secret is is that we are already lovable. God has created you as lovable and loves you just as you are. So if you love Him and you want to keep His commandments, love God, love your neighbor, and love one another. Amen.